HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible thanks to listeners like you. Want to support independent food radio? Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Adam Teeter. We'll talk to Adam, of course, about wine. We'll talk to him about vine pear and a lot more. Um, Adam brought in a red blend from Virginia, which we'll taste for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right, Adam Teeter's experience ranges from out of college, working for the Consulate General of Israel, the Brooklyn Philharmonic, Tablet Magazine, creating a music and wine site called Vivo and Vino, uh, and he is currently the co-founder, or he co-founded and is the CEO of VinePair, a media company about wine, beer, and spirits. But we'll get into a lot more about what it really is. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Adam. Thanks for having me. I can't believe you found the uh, the Consulate General uh, fact. <laughs> it was you're, like you're a very like, brief time in my you're career. You're like Super Jew. <laughs> Consulate General, Tablet Magazine, all this crazy stuff. It was fun. Um, all right, so Adam, welcome to the show. I think I said that. Um, as always, I ask my guests to give them a little context and give me a little background about your journey in life and wine that got you to the present, which is Vine Pair. We don't have to go too far back, but what kind of formed the interest, influenced you, and the things, you know, that that brought you here? Yeah, totally. So I would say I actually came to wine through craft beer. Uh, So when I was in college, I went to college at Emory in uh, Atlanta, and a brewery called Sweetwater had just opened in the city, and it was the first time that craft beer had really come to Atlanta. And they used to do this really cool thing where you could work the line uh, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, or Thursdays and help them bottle the beer. And it was the first time I had tasted really good beer. And we're talking over a dozen years ago. Yeah, 2003. So yeah. I, was, I, was, I was illegally drinking. So the drinking. craft beer thing isn't what people know it to be Not today. at all. Right. Uh, and my co-founder now in Vineper, actually, was my college roommate. Um, and we, you know, we were always pretty... Uh, scrappy, and we convinced Sweetwater while we were underage to sponsor one of our house parties. <laughs> so it's a good move. So they, you know, they donated a bunch of kegs, and we had this crazy party. We got evicted because of it, and uh, and that kind of I kind of bit the bug for being really interested in these quality drinks and these experiences. And so when I moved to New York, um, I was dating my now wife, and we would go out to dinner, and I started getting really intimidated. You know, buy buy wine. Um, I would look at the menu and feel like maybe I was going to get ripped off. I I didn't really trust the people that were there to serve me, um, and so I would talk to you know Naomi about this, and she was like, "Well, why don't we start a wine club?" So that's how it really started. Was 
Um, I don't know. We were at that, that age where you like you just want to have a lot of clubs because you wanted excuses to get together with your friends. So we start this wine club, um, which, which was more of a get together yeah. and mailing wines out. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It was like so basically once a, a month, real club, once a month, 20 of us like piled into a tiny apartment um, and everyone was responsible for bringing a bottle of wine. So we brought 20 bottles of wine. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good move. And uh, it was always a theme. And you had to do research on your bottle. And then you would like sort of talk about what this wine was, what you learned about the producer. We're sort of trying to teach ourselves about wine quality. There was always sort of a price ratio. And then at the end of the night, we would vote on what the favorite wine was. And that person got to pick the theme for the next month. So we did that for about two years. And at the same time. Wow, you kept it going that yeah. long? And at the same and time. all like people, similar age. Everyone. And... Everyone was a millennial. Okay. Um, and then we, at the same time, I got involved at a record label. So I was doing uh, A&R and uh, events and things like that for this record label called J-Dub. Um, and so we had signed bands like Balkan Beatbox and Matis Yahoo and all this other stuff. And I noticed that the bands I was working with were also really into wine in a really interesting way. Like they weren't, they weren't this, this sort of stereotypical, like, yo, let's crush light beer and Jameson backstage. Like on their riders, they would request really good wine. Um, and so I would, I'd moved to these village and this wine shop had opened up called Alphabet City Wine Company. And my wife and I walked in, we were still dating at the time. We didn't get married that young. And, uh, and we walked in and we were like, Hey, do you guys ever, I don't know. We just dug the vibe of the place. Uh, they had couches in the front and people were just kind of hanging out and drinking wine while people were shopping. And I'd never experienced that before in a wine shop, especially in New York city, you know, like, so I was like, wow, this place looks really cool. I wonder if they teach about wine. I wonder if they have wine classes. And so the owner was like, I don't know anything about wine, but my co-owner does. And he was like, he'll teach you. So we were like, we're going to move our wine club to you guys. And they mm. happened to also own this restaurant called Invino. And so this guy was Keith Beavers. He's Vine Pairs Tastings Director now, so full circle. And uh, Keith would let us come to his restaurant uh, every Saturday and learn about wine. And I just, you know, he taught me everything I know. Um, and I just became obsessed. And not just obsessed with wine, but obsessed with making wine accessible. Like it wasn't just the like, oh, now I'm going to go take all these tests and yada, yada, yada. I became really obsessed with breaking down these barriers. And so Keith and I together started this thing called Vivo and Vino. So I had all these connections in the music business. I knew all these bands, I knew all these agents. And so we convinced them to, when their bands would play, you know, Webster Hall or Bowery Ballroom or whatever, to on that second night, do a, an intimate show with us, with a different set list, acoustic, and we'd pair them with a winemaker. Wow. So we did like The Antlers, Freelance Whales, Bare Hands, really awesome bands, Nicole Atkins. And we paired them with amazing winemakers like, you know, Andre Mack of Mouton Noir and like right. really, really cool people would come by and pair their wines. And halfway through the set, we'd have this dialogue between the winemaker and the band about creativity and what got them into music and what got them into wine. And it was really cool. And it was, again, I was just watching it break down these barriers for people in the audience being like, wow, wine actually isn't this snobby, intimidating thing that I thought it was. Um, and so, you know, the music and wine series stopped. And it's still such a good idea. It's an amazing idea, I right? I mean, it's got to be rebooted at some point. I want to bring yeah. it back. And uh, I wound up going back to business school because the record label I was at went bankrupt. And I was going part-time at Stern, um, trying to figure out a way to hustle and stay in New York. And at this point, I was getting married. So that's when I went to Tablet. Um, and I still was you know, really enraptured by what was happening. Now, now I, was got, I had these two loves, right? It was wine. And going, you know, cooking and dining and all this stuff and media. And so I fell back in love with media because I was a journalism major in college and then sort of like I, I really went away from it. And uh, Josh, who was my college roommate, and I were chatting and we were like, why, why does Eater exist but there's not a, a you know, contemporary in the drink space? Right? Why has no one done that? Why is there no super accessible, fun to read, interesting publication? And so we were like, huh. Why don't we just start it? And that's how Vine Pair started. So I quit my job. He quit his. What year was that? This was in 2014. Okay. Uh, and then it, it took off from there. I mean, the, the biggest thing of why it really took off, I mean, we were, we were growing. We were like doing, I think, 500,000 uniques at the time is Gary Vaynerchuk reached out to us. And he was like, I've, I've seen you guys, whatever. Let's come in and meet. And we went in and met with him. And, and that was the thing. We had, we had sort, of, sort of tried to raise money a little bit uh, early on. And everyone in New York asks you, have you talked to Gary? <laughs> Everybody, right? Like, if you haven't talked to Gary and you're, t you're starting anything in alcohol. Especially wine. Yeah, dude, you got to talk to Gary. Wine online. So uh, 
Gary was like, I, I really dig this. I haven't ever invested in a media company like this before, but I'm going to write a check in the room. I mean, and you know him, right? So like yep. that energy was just there. And then he introduced us to a bunch of amazing people. And, you know, a lot of people who originally invested in Eater came on board, like Joanne Wilson and Zach Nelson and all these really amazing people. And then it just exploded from there. And, and that then got me really into, again, then I fall, fell back in love with craft beer and back in love with spirits and the whole cocktail scene through covering it. But it was all through wine. When you launched, was it initially or primarily wine and you expanded or you always did a little coverage of beer? And we always knew it was going to be all three, but we launched primarily with Heavily. wine with a, with a little bit more of beer and spirits. And now it's, I mean, the con you can look at the content any day and it's a third, a third, a third. You know, it's pretty equal in terms is of it? what we're covering. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the readership, it's really interesting. Like when you look at the analytics, one month we'll have more people reading, you know, beer stories than, but the other thing that I think is really cool and shows what's happening in the current generation is that the reader, if you follow their their journey on the site, will read a wine story and then a beer story, and then they'll go back to a wine story, then they're a cocktail story. So it's it's very well, rare one, that you it's have there and two, you know, that, everyone that's drinks the everything. Market that's yeah, it's it, it's interesting. We're not like a you know, we joke like your dad was a scotch drinker and that's what he drank all the time, right? right? And your mom was a white wine with ice cubes drinker or whatever. Right. That's not the case anymore, right? Like people have a cocktail when they go out to dinner and then they get a nice bottle of wine right. and, they, and then they're like, oh, let's go. There's a cool brewery that just, let's get a beer before we go home. Right. Um, it's, so it's cool. It's definitely uh, spread out. So I want to do a few things. Yeah. I want to get your take on a bunch of things about wine and then um, I want to talk about vine pair. Um, so you'll have the opportunity cool. to tell me about everything. But, you know, as you explained a little, you've been embedded in the market. Um, and I think you have a pretty sense of what's going on. So let's start with, are we in the midst of a new generation of wine drinkers? Yeah, I absolutely think so. So who are they? So <clears throat> I'm not going to say they're millennial. That's like, I mean, they are. But they're also young, younger Gen Xers, and they're, you know, this Gen Z that's graduating college now. Um, Which and, is legal drinking exactly. age, just about, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, we have... So are we talking three group categories? I think it's all the same. It's an attitude. And that attitude is... No, the, but technically, there's yes. millennials. The, who's graduating? Help me. Gen in. Z. And then who's in the middle? Gen X. Okay. So Gen X is like... All of them are legal all to them drink. Are legal. Very active consumers. Very active we'll consumers. We'll talk later how they're an important, you know, audience yeah. of yours. But so that's who they are. Now... How are they changing? So for them, it's much more about experience. It's much more about culture. It's much more about the stories. That's what matters. So scores don't matter. Uh, price point doesn't matter as much, right? They're going, they're going premium. So they're buying nicer bottles. They're buying better beers. It's all about quality. And this is a, a generation that, you know, when they go on vacation, they plan to visit a, if, if a winery is in the area, they'll hit the winery up. Right. They'll they'll go to a, a cool craft brewery. That to them is part of seeing the local scene, um, and they're really really interested in what how this bottle was made, who the person is behind it, story and experience. It's super super interesting. So when you got into it, one of the things I didn't ask you is you didn't have aspirations for trophy wines no. or all. You were looking for interesting wine stories and all of yeah. that. Um, I still don't have any trophy wine. <laughs> you, you don't need them. But you also said they'll pay for more wine. I mean, it, it, I, you've probably done you know, some research or know the uh, analytics. I mean, what's a premium bottle to that? 20 wine? bucks. 20 bucks? Yeah, 20 bucks is pretty average on a, a weeknight. And I'm talking, obviously, we could use trade terms of off-premise. But, you know, if you go to the wine shop, a $20 bottle is is a pretty easy sell to most right. of our readers, uh, most of this generation. Um, and what's shrinking is that under $10 market that used to be massive. But um, that that's crap wine. Crap though, right? wine. I mean, that's the manufactured mega purple. Crap Which wine. they're not interested not in. Not at all. The market. And then I think they're also willing to pay for premium when... You know, they also know that the farming was biodynamic, organic, or sustainable. When they know that the winemaker was quality, you know, when they and then right. the the label matters, right? The bottle's got to look cool too. Like that's what we I, I talk to producers a lot about is like it doesn't matter if the juice is really good if they don't think that they look cool putting it on the table for their friends. You're not going to sell your wine, right? Which goes to label marketing, yeah. story, everything. Um, it's amazing. So what effect and change do you think that's had on wine? I mean, 
is the luxury market shrinking? Do I, I mean, so now you have... Luxury is never going to shrink because you're always going to have people who work at certain jobs, who ultimately make a certain salary, who are influenced by the people above them, who become collectors. I think you have less collectors than you used to. I don't have a seller. You know, I think it's pretty rare. There's just space. We're all moving to cities. We all have less space. Is it? It's partially that. Yes. It's the collector mentality is not a big deal either. Right? And I think, no, it's not. And I think we're also, you know, we're less willing to wait. We're super impatient. I mean, we're the generation that's in, like, I look at my phone all the time because I'm bored. What am I doing? You know, we're super, so like, I don't want to sit and wait. Oh, this is going to drink great in 10 years. I don't have 10 years to wait. And I mean, it's that's not important. No. And that's, that's, you know, I'll tell this to producers too. Like, if you're going to tell me your wine's good in 10 years, then you hold the wine in 10 years and then sell it back to me in 10 years. I'll pay for the, I'll pay the premium to drink it when you say right. it's going to be great, but I don't want to hold it for 10 years. All right, so let's just go back a second, not to be repetitive, but the things that interest people are there's about a $20 range up or down a little. Yeah. A label can influence people. Um, if you know a little about, you know, if you're into organic or natural, which I want to talk to you in a few minutes, that producer, that story may influence you to buy you. Um, and those are the things that are more important. They're not collectors. They're right. not collectors. They're not. So I mean, that's a, that's a fairly big change from. They're also really unaware of these big names that I think producers think are still. So, for give example, me one in your like Sasakaya. They have never heard of it. It's so much money, and it's not important. And there's great. I mean, Italy's a center for natural wines yeah. and all of that. Yeah, they, they, what they, about like Camus and Opus and no s- interest? Some. I mean, if they've been to Napa, they probably that was probably something that someone recommended them. Like, oh, you should go right. to Camus. Well, and just because so, it's the states and all exactly, that. but like these these big bottles. I mean, okay, they know the big champagne producers because champagnes are a brand. But in terms of these wines, and it, no, is champagne an interest? Champagne's an interest for everyone. So always. when you <laughs> no, I, you know we're big advocates on the show, but that's one of the wines that you bust out over twenty exactly. bucks. Yeah, I mean, and look, is it beyond celebratory? Because a lot of the people that come in here are champagne fanatics. They pair it with everything. All the great restaurants now have great champagne lists. Don't drink it just as celebratory. Millennials look at it still more. They're not drinking it. No, they're not drinking it every night. To kick a meal off. No, it's still celebration. It's too expensive. I mean, I think, and at the end of the day, you know, $20 is that average weeknight bottle price. They'll go higher for the weekend. You know, they'll they'll spend $100. Or dinner with four other friends. friends. But like, again, champagne is expensive. And so they're but it's not, cool. It, but it's cool. Right. Right. So if it's, if it's a special occasion, if it's someone's birthday, if it's just a promotion, if it's whatever, then it's champagne all day. All right. So this kind of works into that because I think the uh, market are big users. How do you think social media and new media, and we'll put Vine Pair as, uh-huh. you know, new media, um, how do you think it's changed and influenced wine, the consumer? I mean, I think, this is this is what you do. I mean, wh- what are you doing? I think the the really interesting thing about it is it it puts more power in the consumer because there's just more information. So we see, which is really crazy, the the traffic on Vine Pair spikes on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights because of I'm going out and, and I have time. or you're standing in the wine shop and you don't want for right. whatever reason you don't want to talk to the person in the shop and you go on Vine Pair and you search and you read our articles and then you buy the wine. So let's put that to accessibility. Yep. Okay. Your first point, could we put it to democratization? Absolutely. You, you know that there's more places to go. It's not just Robert Parker or Wine Spectator and all that. There's blogs and everything. And it's your friends, right? So like you now a friend goes peer out. to peer now. Yeah, like a friend. So let's say like last night, for example, I went out and was uh, drinking at a wine bar I like in the East Village called Ruffian, right? And great so bar. great bar. And so I Instagrammed a bottle I was drinking, and I had a friend right back and be like, "Oh my gosh, gotta try this!" Right? So it's even just that of like someone's out to dinner and they because you know you, you assume unless the person's an influencer and that was paid which I think we're also becoming more aware of, and that's losing its credibility among this generation because we're starting to realize, like, I don't want to follow people being paid to, to, stu- to push stuff at me. But when you're friends, Instagram something, you know they loved it. You right. know, so if I'm putting a bottle... There's, there's good discovery there. There's good discovery. And if it's your friends. It's funny, you and I have issues with sommeliers, but most sommeliers are not on the take. They're 
thing is tasting wine. Yeah. And by following them, it's like, you know, they're drinking some cool stuff. Too. They're drinking super cool stuff. I think the I, I follow I follow lots of psalms. Um, I think the only the only issue sometimes is they're drinking stuff that's very hard to find or very highly allocated. Right. And so with that, there are the few that get it, and and that's hard because as a consumer, then it becomes frustrating. Like I was following a psalm that I I like a lot, and I saw someone in the comments post at one point, and and, and the psalm took it kind of hard, and I felt bad, but it was like, hey man, I wish you wouldn't just post wines I can never drink. Right. You know, I really like you. I, I dig your vibe, but like all you do is post wines I can't drink. Like and Ovenois that's hard. And all these, you know, other guys. You yeah. Um, boil this down to a couple things, but what you've been writing about recently and what's been going on, tell me about the big stories or trends. You know, I don't need 20 or 30 of them, but where where have we moved to? I mean, we may have sort of broached a couple of things, but, you know, what's kind of happening on the site and in the market that you think? Or I mean, where are things going? Or I mean, I think we're further we're further moving towards a democratization. We're moving towards a quality is more important, story is more important than just the score or who made it even, you know? So if the wine's good, the wine's good. We don't really care as much anymore, like how big the producer is, et cetera. Like, so you're selective in who you're going to write about or whatever. Yeah. You have to play to the audience. There's I, enough wine out there. Absolutely. There's enough wine out there. And I think the bigger stories are really about what's happening. So, you know, our motto is drinking is culture. And so it's the bigger stories that are happening in the country too. Wait, right? what's so the motto? Drinking is culture. Drinking is culture. So, you know, so we, we look at everything through the lens of a glass, but, you know, it's the same major stories we're dealing with in terms of what's happening with equality and how we're, we're, we're trying to address that in the industry. You know, this has been an industry that for the, for the longest time has only sold to white people. You know, and so marketed. Yeah. So how do we how do we start shedding light on the fact that there's a huge market out there that wants to drink these wines as well that everyone's ignoring, you know, and that and that has been pigeonholed into saying, oh, well, this demographic only likes white or this demographic only likes sweet or this demographic will never drink wine. It's just not true. And so we're, we're trying to help tell those stories as well, because that's that's a big thing that we're having to grapple with as a country, I think. Um, and then we also we do look at this larger trend as well of everything being very, very experience driven. Right. So the experience is almost as important. Right. So a wine bar now is awesome, not just because of the wines you drank, but because of the, the experience you have at that bar. Right. Right. So who are the people that work there? What's the vibe? Little education. Exactly. Vibe, like to, maybe the food. Right. Which is what makes whatever. a bar. I mean, not to the people that come there. I'll too. keep plugging ruffian, but like, yeah, you know, no, no, that's a good example for the, Right. They're behind the bar. The, the, you know, Patrick and Alexis that own it, you, they're usually there and they'll teach you everything about the wine. And that makes the experience as good or better than almost any other place you could drink at. I agree. Um, do you, so you said wine is cultural. Do you think wine still has sort of an elitist tinge to it? Yeah, absolutely. So what, It's a luxury product. So I was going to say define that. It has that elitist tinge because it's a luxury product. There's a ton of it that's expensive. Mm -hmm. What else? It's, you know, there still is a, uh, a vocabulary that, that we feel like we need in order to understand it. So, you know, if the issue with wine is like, think about it this way. The majority of Americans don't speak a second language. So how do we expect that the majority of Americans will speak a language of wine, right? But those that do possess th that knowledge and do possess that vocabulary have a leg up in terms of understanding wine, in terms of talking about wine, et cetera. That was one of the biggest reasons that we started Vine Pairs. We wanted to start trying to educate people and say, okay, well, here's what these words mean. Here's when you need to use them. Here's when you don't need to use them. Um, and so it still does have an elitist tinge. And then there is always going to be that percentage of the population, we'll call them the 1%, who will collect, right. who will go to auction. That, that market's not going to go away. Um, and who will still look at this will as... It, will it eventually wither, or people will always sort of fall into it? People are always going to fall into it. I, I mean, because when all the baby boomers and those guys die, I mean, do the other guys push up and still do that? Uh, I think maybe to a lesser extent, but... Maybe, there's That's still, the answer. But we don't know, and right. at, at some point, like, I'm not here to convince those people not to do that. If you want to do that, if that's what gives you pleasure, fine, whatever. Right. I mean, then you won't wind up reading Vine Pair and... That's fine. Right. All right. Um, I want to talk about Vine Pair, but before we get to that, I want to just do like a quick lightning round and get your take on a few things. Yeah. Um, 
I think a big part of the wine world is sommeliers, wine lists, restaurants, even retail. Let's leave the retail out. Um, I see on this show there's a new generation of sommeliers, you know, whether it's a Joan Alfaner and Sarah Thomas at Le Bernardin and all that, but that's not the majority. I mean, our sommeliers, I think we talked about it a little that they're posting and drinking wines. But what about that experience going into a restaurant? That was one of the reasons that's something that inspired you to. I think that, you know, unfortunately, there's, you know, a lot of people who are psalms who are good friends of mine. And I know that their intention is to help, but consumers still don't trust them. It's, it's a really. Why? Because I think we think in all aspects of purchase, when it comes to buying diamonds for engagement, when it comes to buying really nice suits or whatever, that someone's trying to screw us. It's a little expensive. It's a little unknown. It's an American it's, it falls mentality. Into, it is an American mentality. So, so as much as you we... You know a little about it. Right. So as much as we push and say, hey, we really think that you should like give these people a chance and you should listen to them and tell them, you know, there's so many articles we have on the site that's like, just say the price you want to spend. Just say it. They're not going to give you a $150 bottle of wine if you say that you want right. to spend 40 to 60 bucks. But there's this mentality that you can't. And so therefore you're like, ah, don't trust this person. I'm going to go to my phone. I'm going to look at what, you know, Vivino. and then also I think there's this disconnect too of understanding, you know, in, in the US that, guys, there is a markup. I'm, I get that you can pay this for the wine at retail. There's a three times usually markup in restaurants. If you don't want to pay some that- Some are less, some are way more. Some I are mean, way more. You, you seek that out. And it's the cost it, of doing business. It's the cost right. of going out to eat. Right. And so, you know, I think that also though, consumers think like, oh, why are they ripping me off? Who's trying to, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a problem. It's that unknown thing. So you sort of say that they're not doing a great job uh, making people feel more comfortable or well, connecting I, them to wine. I think I think they're trying. I think that a, a you know it's it's a two way street. The consumer also has to meet them halfway. Right. The consumer has to be more willing to be trusting. But the onus is on the song. Well, I think a lot of it's the vocabulary we talked about. Like I think yeah. you know there's if you come to the table and the goal is to show how much you know, you're going to intimidate the person. And the person doesn't want to be intimidated. You know, you know, like right. we don't we don't want to sit there and That's feel good advice and anyway. feel super intimidated. Just just come and be. You know, again, at the places that do it the best, the person just super happy and say, okay, what do you like to drink? You know, if you start if you start right. with that, even if they tell you the prisoner, you know, or well, Miomi, well, first they know then, it's red, it's a blend, right. residual sweetness. And you know, they can go in that them. direction. And I think that. I think it's it's the places where like it feels like you're being told what to do that per, that the person right. becomes really scared and that's not all places right but it's that's i think the ones that wind up get, you know causing this reputation to occur so don't be scared speak up tell people what you like exactly um we didn't we kind of didn't steer into this but i can't avoid asking you let's talk about natural wines the natural wine movement i think a lot of the stuff you're talking about the experiences the wines millennials there's a preference there but there's a bigger thing. I mean, I don't want to go into the definition of natural wine. Because <laughs> you can't define you it. You can. I mean, there's organic <laughs> makers, biodynamic. You could be organic and screw it up in the cellar. But it's a movement. Here to stay? I'm not so sure. Why? I think that the, the, the wine being made in an organic, biodynamic, sustainable manner, absolutely here to stay. I think wines that taste like kombucha, potentially not here to stay. I think... You know, we are. We have to remember in the world of wine that we ex we are in a bubble. New York is a bubble. L.A. is a bubble. San Francisco is a bubble. Outside of this bubble, natural wine is not a thing. People have not heard of it before. They've not had them. These wines that are natural are very highly allocated. A lot of them are such small production, super hard to find. So. I think in these cities, will natural wine always be a thing? Yeah, at certain bars that will, you know, specialize in it. I think there will be a pushback. I think that there's a little bit of a, you know, right now, the people who are pushing natural wine are pretty aggressive about it. I think that's turning some people off. So, you know, so you'll have that, right? Because you're having the same of like, this is how it's supposed to be. And then you have other wine people saying, that's the same thing that Parker was doing. Parker was telling everyone how wine should taste. Good you're doing, point. You're doing the same thing. Good point. You know, like, you didn't like him, so back off a little bit um, and don't make people feel bad if they do like a wine that you think is too oaky or whatever. 
Um, they're a little more aggressive. Yeah, but I think you know some but of like those wines any, are amazing. Any product, there's going to be crappy stuff and good stuff. Yeah, and maybe I don't know. I, I don't even want to say that maybe there's more crappy natural wine, which is not true. But part of it is some inconsistency and there funkiness is. and all that. But that's a segment. You know, that's not the whole movement. Look, it, there's a movement of people who are really obsessed with sour beers, and it's the same. It, it's a very similar, right? And so that's a growing movement in the world of craft beer that's not overtaking IPAs any day ever. No, and, no. So, and I don't think it will either because there's, there's a certain segment that likes that flavor profile, which that's the biggest thing that, that I think is like I, I do think the explosion of natural wine for a lot of people is, uh, you know, the quality of what's happening in the vineyards. But for just as many, it's a flavor profile. And that right. flavor profile of very juicy, sour, sort of mousiness, you know, Band-Aid, et cetera, is pleasurable cool it gives you pleasure good for you but like that's not going to be a segment that's going to overtake people who are really into purity of fruit and you know beautiful acidity and balance it's just not right it's a good point and the sour beer is a good point adam we have to take a quick break um when we come back we will talk about vine pear and what you're doing there then I want to subject you to our wine list, and we'll taste a little of this uh, wine from Virginia that you brought in. We're talking to Adam Teeter from Vine Pear, and you're listening to The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by you. As an independent member supported nonprofit, the amazing content you hear on HRN is made possible thanks to our generous community of members and partners. For 10 years, HRN has been a defining voice in America's food movement, and we never would have made it this far without you. Join us in celebrating an amazing decade of food radio and support our summer fun drive by becoming a member of HRN. You can choose from our member gifts and will receive exclusive discounts on HRN events. We truly believe that with your help, we can change the world and our food system one bite or sound bite at a time. But there's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Adam Teeter. Adam is the proprietor he's the guy who co-founded um vine pear and adam i want to talk to you about vine pear and i guess really the best way is because we have to make the assumption that some people never freaking heard of it yeah absolutely that's partially why you're here so what is vine pear and you know give me an idea of mission statement and objective so to, to frame it, and then we'll talk about specifically what you're doing. So we're a multidimensional media company. So we have a magazine, print. We have a digital media property that we publish, you know, five to eight stories a day. We have uh, a podcast. We do events. Uh, we have some sort of, we have a commerce platform. So lots of different stuff in terms of what VinePair is. Our overall model motto is drinking is culture. So the idea is that we examine the stories of the world through the lens of the glass. So I want to tell just as many stories about culture, politics, history, business, as I do a profile of a cool person in the industry. Um, but the former three things are done through the lens of a glass? Through the lens of alcohol, right? Okay. So if I can explain to you the economics of what's happening in China through the gifting market in wine, that was a story we published a few years ago, then we will. If we can talk about, you know, uh, what's happening in terms of you know fights for equality and things like that through what's happening in the wine in the wine business? We will. Um, I think that that's you know everything is inherently political, and that's also our, our job as lifestyle journalists. Is you know lifestyle should encompass the, our lives. It shouldn't just be a profile of a winemaker and their family, or you know, or the third profile right. of that same winemaker. Right. I mean, there's such a lifestyle built around wine and all that. So exactly, you, you might as well do all of that. Um, I mean, there's competition out there. How is Vine Pair different than other people? You know, covering wine, and let me mention that there's significant coverage of beer and spirits. Um, you did explain that it kind of kicked off with wine, and, yeah. and it grew out and all of that. But 
you know, everything from Wine Spectator, who's huge, to Punch. And I mean, how, how do you how do you differentiate yourself? I mean, I think we're really taking a very culture first approach. We're also taking a massive accessibility approach. So I don't, you know, we try to define everything. I think culture, you explain. What's so, massive accessibility so approach mean? We, we try to be very not simplistic in terms of the way that we write, but we want to explain to you what these things are we're talking about. So we want you to understand what terroir actually is. We don't just use the term and right. throw it around like you should know what it is. We want you to understand why, you know, people actually are drinking Fernet in bars or how the Aperol Spritz, you know, just took off and became explosive. Instead of just saying like, oh, everyone's drinking it now. You should drink it too. You know, like... It's we, very polarizing. Yeah. That Spritz. We want to give you, we want to give you knowledge. Uh, we want to explain what Amaro actually is instead of you just being presented a list of Amaro now that it's super trendy at every single restaurant, right? Here's what Amaro is. Here's so you, how it's you made. You break it down. And so I think that to that's a lot of different aspects. Absolutely. And I think that's why we've grown so fast. And, and it's what's made us the largest publication in the space is that, you know, desire to really try to be, uh, you know, a friend of our reader to, you know, write things we know our reader wants to read, but also to come at them from a place that's like, we're, we're not going to talk down to you. You know, we're not here to say we know more than you. One of the biggest examples that we give is even the articles that we write. We never want to write about experiences that you can't have as a consumer. So there's another publication um, that a long time ago I was reading. It's a food publication. And they were writing about, um, like, uh, taking a tour through... Uh, Spain with Jose Andres and then one night like Jose Andres opened the hotel got the hotel bartender to open the <laughs> okay. bar and he made a crazy gin and tonic whatever we would never write that you and I ain't seeing that who gets to go with yeah. the travel with Jose Andres like one right. writer so we really fun try. but not real fun but not real and I think like we are we, we have a lot of articles that are aspirational obviously but when you aspire you to do them you can do them right but it's the just aspirations are right. within reason it's not, yo I'm that. hanging out with my uh, with my chef friends and uh, they're making me off-menu stuff, and you can't do that, which who, is why we also don't write a lot about highly allocated stuff. Who contributes? Is it a stable of writers, or you go outside and have a lot of people? So we have a, a, an amazing full-time team of, right. of writers in the office. What's <laughs> up to those that are hopefully listening right now? Um, so you know, we're, we're a really great staff of our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino, is amazing. Uh, she's been with us for two years and you know, really runs the publication. Um, and then we have some really awesome staff writers. So, um, Kat Walensky is, uh, one of our, she's our senior staff writers. She writes a lot about beer for us, especially. Um, and then Tim McCurdy is another one of our staff writers and Keith Beavers, who I was saying had the right. wine shop before he's our tastings director. Right. And then we have what we would say in the business is a stringer, but you know, a freelancer. Um, and they, we have, I think probably 45 or 50 of them right now from all over the country that will contribute maybe once a week, maybe once a but month. Stringer is like an understatement. Um, isn't it? Aren't, aren't they prominent people? In oh yeah. They're, they're super prominent writers, you know, like, you know, uh, they have some kind of angle into the business. Absolutely. Whether they're a Psalm or a writer. Absolutely. Or, like, yeah, I mean, don't underplay that. No. So like Jamie Good is one of our There's writers. There's a stable of outside people that, you know, absolutely. are significant. And who, you know, Contribute. So Jamie Good is one of our biggest wine writers. We have, you know, Celine Bossart, who's a really amazing cocktail writer, spirits writer for us. So a bunch of different people like that who are contributing columns. Evan Rail, really, really great people who are there trying to help us, um, you know, push everything right. forward. And then, um, you know, also write for others. Right. Um, we talked about millennials in your market. So that who who are you targeting? Millennials, but I mean, but I mean, is it even moving a little younger now? Do you have to be conscious of that because you ain't getting younger? So we 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 target we, we come from this perception of I mean from this sort of position that we're targeting us and for those that feel like they're us. Whether you are young, you're millennial at heart, or you're a millennial, um, or you are someone who's a little bit younger and you're becoming curious, right? So you're starting to really drink better. Um, I think. You know, the publication isn't for you if you're someone that's still really into, you know, shots and, you know, just keg stands. Right, But right, the right. second that you've decided... A little more evolved. Yeah, the second you've decided that you're really interested in the, the, the culture of beverage, the lifestyle of beverage, then you become a reader. Right. So, I've been on the site a lot. It's, it's, it's very rich. Let's talk about some of the sections and features. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, primarily what's the wheelhouse? I mean, there's, like you said, the five stories every day. So you're always going to get content about yeah. everything. I mean, what else are we getting? So like? you're getting reviews. So we do, we do do wine reviews. We do beer reviews as well. We do them But that's fairly recent. Very recent. You launched. You didn't review. No. We launched. Why did you? Readers asked for it. They did. Yeah. So they trust the environment. What do you think? What should we drink? Exactly. Right? And so we decided to go about it a very different way when we launched reviews. So we decided that we weren't going to review the wines blind. So they're non-blind. We know the price. We look at the label because that's how you buy. And you abandoned the hundred point system. All gone. Which so, is, you know, classic Parker. I think Galoni still does it. So you went, why did you abandon it and what did you replace it with? It was with? super confusing to people. What's the difference between a 92 and a 93? <laughs> um, Good point. And then, you know, we decided we wanted to <clears throat> sort of evaluate it on, you know, an A plus to a F scale, but we don't publish anything that gets below a B minus. So we have a pretty clear policy that if your wine got below B minus, it just, it's not, not going to get a review. To get. And we don't want to hate on something that someone may love. So it just doesn't show up as a review on the site. That's a very millennial thing, right? We don't like negativity. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we also, we put the wines in buckets. So when Keith and the team are tasting, he'll say, okay, well, this is a $12 wine, right? So I think this is a really great wine for a backyard barbecue, for uh, you know, a beachside, or for a house party, right? And then- Very practical. And then it gets a B plus for those use cases. So we are trying to also break down this misunderstanding that readers told us they had when they would say, what is the difference between this wine on any of the other publications that use this 100-point scale that got a 92 that was $15, and this wine that got a 92 that was $100 besides the price. And so we're trying to say, well, this is a really great $15 wine, but this still is not going to be better probably than the $100 wine you're going to drink. Right. And also when so it's $100, it we're going to try to be a lot more critical, right? Because if the wine's expensive, it better be good. Right. What? Um, so you're doing reviews... Do you kind of take those reviews and do best of lists? We do. We do lists. We do the top 50 wines of the year every year. So if I went to the site and I'm like, I need to buy some wines. There's tons of different I can stuff. go to a best of list and get some recommendations yeah. for everything. White, red. Absolutely. Probably. If you wanted to do, you know, if you were interested in rosé, we do the top 25 rosés of the year every year. Uh, that list came out at the end of May. That's a huge project for the team. Um, then we do, you know, some featured columns. So... We do this feature called Lucky Sevens, which is, you know, we profile someone in the industry every week, and it's seven questions to everyone in the industry, you know. It's like our wine list. Exactly. Uh, we do, you know, um, Bartography is a series actually Celine writes for us that's, um, you know, a city guide through the lens of a, you know, the city's, one of the city's top mixologists. So where do they like to drink? Where do they like to right. stay? Where do they like to eat? Um, so those types of things are also these sort of like anchor uh, columns that we run. And then every Friday we do this thing called need to know, which is, I mean, it's funny. We started them sort of as a joke and they're super popular. It's literally here are facts you need to, you want to know about Break this brand. Down a top, like a, a brand topic. No, it'll be a brand. So like, brand. here's, here's everything you need to know about Plymouth gin. Okay. Right, so here's when they started. Here's what cool. their blend is. People love that stuff. Yeah. No, Cause I... you just want to give nuggets to your friends. What is, um, you know, I brought you in here to talk primarily about wine what you do said earlier i mean it's almost the third a third a third how people consume what what's hotter right now it's probably a base question and the wrong question but what's hotter beer craft beer or spirits or they're both having a moment so spirits is hotter craft beer is rising in a shrinking market so it's matured a little so beer consumption overall in the united states is falling craft is eating what is still in beer, but as a segment, it's not growing. And like, if you look at all the facts coming out from the Brewers Association and things like that, it's, you know, they're very aware of it. So again, this goes back to, they need to start talking to communities that aren't white dudes with beards, because if not, <laughs> that market's going to continue to shrink. Wine continues to grow and spirits is growing, but wine's, wine's far and away. Right. Right. Um, all right, I should come over there and give you a few noogies on your head. And the reason is <laughs> is that you launched a print magazine, yes. like something you can hold. 
I mean, you've eloquently positioned yourself as a new media company. You know, you've taken a category, and here you go, and you publish a magazine. <laughs> Why? So, I mean, I've always loved print. Um, that does. If I owned a men's clothing store, it may not be the best idea to put in what I like. So I'll be I'll be very honest. Business wise, it's a marketing play. Okay. So support. So it's, it, it's, it gets the brand in better places. The brand, you know, the magazine's now sold at McNally Jackson. It allows for some of the stories that are these long form stories we love to be told also in print and, and look very differently. And, and there are stories that we publish that really do deserve that print treatment. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, it gets it gets our brand, it gets Vine Pair in the hands of more people. We have partnerships with like um, Kimpton Hotels where it's in, in room. Um, you know, so it's important for us for more people to discover us. Because as you said, like, I'm, I'm never going to sit here and think like, oh, you like beverage? Well, then you've definitely heard of Vine Pair. I mean, then I would be super egotistical. And that's just not true. That's not, that's not reality. So the more people that we can expose to what we're trying to do, the better in print lets us do it's that. It's a good piece, a good extension. 100%. You have the content, you have the name. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I as hope long as it you does can financially well. support it. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's all, it, it, it all makes sense. Um, you know, it's part of a bigger plan. Um, you are also a fellow podcaster. Yes. Um, it's nice for you to sit down and learn from the master. But tell me, <laughs> tell me, um, you co-host the Vine Pair podcast. Yeah. What What are you doing and what's the objective there? So the idea is just talking, you know, having discussions about broader topics that, you know, you can't just have in print. So, for example, a large conversation about natural wine and sort of what's happening in the business. Or we had Matt Crafton on, the winemaker of Chateau Montalina. He was on recently. He has a lot of hot takes, you yeah. know, which I love. But so, yeah, yeah. He, he wanted to sort Good of... Good guy. So he also wanted you to You know, legacy, piece. winery, but young guy, different takes. Like Super you said, cool. hot takes. Super cool. Yeah. So, you know, th we want to have these, these bigger conversations. We had a big conversation of this week's podcast about, you know, how why this whole sparkling seltzer thing has exploded this summer. Like, where did that come what from? What is it, White Claw? White Claw. So White Claws, ain't, what? Just, ain't no laws when you're drinking Claws. But it's just seltzer with alcohol and so flavoring? It's a, it's, a malt be it's a malt beverage. Okay. That's a sparkling malt it beverage. It sounds like Zima. It is. It is. Okay. It is. It's all, it's all it's repackaged. Just the right time packaging and Dude, all. It we, just shows you marketing packaging. Was there any cyclical. influencer playing it? Like was... Uh, one of the Jenners holding it, or no, they just organically it just, it just explode. So it's it's gr sparkling seltzer is growing with the health and wellness movement. So it's this idea. That's what I think is so funny to me, and that's also if we go back a little bit to what pisses me off about some people who are talking about natural wine as being better for you. Alcohol is alcohol. It destroys your liver. Like at the end of the day, we all have to just admit that. But there's this belief that like sparkling seltzer must be better for me. I can, dude, I can run, and then I can drink a White Claw. So people are like Silly. really into this. It's crazy. All right. So if so, the podcast is an opportunity for you to take a longer take on exactly. you know, various subjects. And again, brand extension. If people want to find the podcast, they just go wherever they get their podcast. Right? Ever, yeah, All everywhere. Just same and search Vine Pair. And it's called Vine Pair. The Vine Pair Podcast. podcast. Yeah. And it's you and. Uh, so Zach Jabal is the co-host. He's a sommelier actually okay. in Seattle. And so we actually we pipe in and he's in a studio and then they cut and mix the whole thing. I get the easy job. I just talk. I was just gonna say, good, you have somebody who knows what they're talking <laughs> <Exactly>. about, <laughs> which is fine. All right, um, we have about ten minutes left. Let's use it wisely. So what I wanted to do is subject you to our wine list. Let's we do it. ask all our guests to answer the wine list. We ask everybody the same five questions. Okay. Don't dwell on them. Don't overthink them. There's no wrong answers. Okay. You suck, you suck. You're good, you're good. You cool. know, the answers are the answers. All right? And hopefully maybe you listen to the show before and you know what some of them are. So the first question is, what are you drinking now in the context of what's in your fridge? What are you trying to taste? What's in interesting you at work? So what I'm drinking now. Seasonal. What I'm drinking know. now that I'm super, I've been into for a little while now is Zeno Mavro from Greece. Dude, it's just dope. It's Greece, just, Greece is making some great wines, dude, they great are. values. They are. Spell Zeno Marvro for our people. Do we know? <laughs> is it X I N A O M A V R O? Zeno Marvro. I don't know. My friend Lena's going to kill I, me. I'll post. As I tell everyone, <laughs> I post. You know all your answers and everything. What else? So that's so. A, I was just in Italy and uh, I got to go to Mount Etna for the first time. So I had some amazing. You know, Etna Rosso's, really delicious, and a Bianco. Terrific. Then, I mean, it seems like I was there, and then Eric Asimov decided to write a column. I'm just saying. I know. know. Uh, but th th I think <laughs> those are those are pretty amazing. 
Um, great value too. Great value. And then, you know, I've come back to like good rosé. So I, I didn't drink a lot of rosé last summer. Is good rosé from other places than yes. Provence? Give me one or two. Actually, give me a favorite or two. So, I mean, so my favorite is actually, it was the number one in our tasting and it's from Etna. It's Gracchi's rosé. Spelled G-R-A-C-I. Dude, this rosé is fire. It is. It Do is you know fire. what the grape is? Is it a... It's Nerello Moscalese. It is Nerello. It's, it is an awesome, awesome wine. It's, so it's there, everything you want. That's a great one. All right, you did a good job on that. I'm very encouraged. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? It's the silliest question in the the thing, but is there something that you know is cool when you try it, or you've done it, you know, once a month, few times a year? I mean, I think you should drink what you like with what you like to eat. But that's a good answer, uh, which yeah. means if you like red wine with salmon, screw care. it. Yeah, screw yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that this, like, I think that's, again, this thing that intimidates the consumer is this idea it that has like, to they're, be doing proper. It, they're doing it wrong. Like, just order what you want to drink. All right. I, I'm going to take that. All right. You mentioned one place, but let's get a little deeper. Not too crazy. And don't feel like you're excluding anybody. Give me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. And that's in the context of who's got the selection, who's doing it well, who's got the vibe. So I'm going to throw Ruffian in. I can't say Ruffian. Talk. I can't say No, Ruffian. you can. That's it. That's yeah. one of the, But any other places that kind of hit that note? I mean, I've always liked the Ten Bells. Ten Bells? Ten Bells, by is, the way, is a natural wine bar, but great, nice vibe. Just nice vibe, nice yeah. people. Um, gosh. Restaurant where you know, you know you go in and the wine's killer? Where I go to the wine's killer. I mean, there's there's so many places in New York. In New York, it's, it's hard. It's, like this place is dope. Roberta's is amazing. Roberta's is a great, interesting. Uh, you know, really cool wines. Really my good. My buddy food. Kirk Sutherland. Yeah, it's awesome. All um, right, you know, but Ruffian is like my spot. The that's best. good. All right, favorite all time wine, and it's funny because when I first asked the question, I know already. The answer was always the trophy. The, the first time you had an expensive Burgundy. It's not about rare or price. It's about experience. Mm -hmm. You know, when I got married, we opened mm -hmm. a bottle of Salas, whatever. So what's your favorite all-time wine? So do you want the actual producer or do you want the just the region? I want specifics. Okay. So before I started Vine Pair and I was doing the wine club thing, I'd been a year married and Keith knew that Naomi and I were going to Italy. And I was like, I want to go to one wine region. And he's like, don't go to Tuscany, go to Piedmont. And Good call. I fell in love with Nebbiolo, like really hard. Barbaresco, Barola, Lange. I mean, so what? all of it. But the producer that I remember falling in love the most with at that time was Chigliuti. It's a Barbaresco producer. It's, you got to spell for me. Gosh, I'll correct C -I you. But C I G G L U I. I think Chigli. Ooh. There's an I in there? U-I-L-I-U-T-I. Okay. Chigliuti. So Chigliuti, and Barolo or Barbaresco? Barbaresco. Okay. And it was everything. It, the, my wife and I showed up, you know, in the late afternoon. It's two daughters that had taken over from their father. The daughter comes out with their, her dog. We go into the vineyard. It's at this point when, like, it's uh, it's mid-August. The berries are ripe. She's pulling berries off the vine. I'd never done that before. We're eating them. She takes us down into the cellar. We taste. And then she just was, like, so, I guess overcome with the fact that we had come and visit her that she just gave us two bottles and we took them home we were like we didn't pay for these you know it was just the, the most special so experience in the world there's the quintessential story experience everything matched up by you know a quality product people yeah and i just i never i never tasted anything like it that's a good one i will post that all right we don't have a lot of time left so we got to move quickly and if you can't answer this to the t because this is your <laughs> wheelhouse i always ask my guests give me the best wine around 15 20 bucks which is what we've been discussing um to recommend to my listeners give me a red give me a white you can give me a region or like you could say muscadet is the best white value you can give me a maker <clears throat> you know whatever but give me a white, give me a red. Don't don't you know, don't get nervous over this. Whatever comes to mind. 15, 20 bucks. Retail. It's a, it's a little difficult. I think uh, in terms of whites, I've gotten really into the whites from the finger likes. I think that there's okay. like some really cool stuff coming out of there. But beyond be Rieslings? Little, the, some Rieslings are really good, but they can be pricey, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, also a Sirtico from Santorini. Still hot, still delicious. That also could go over twenty bucks, but you could probably find some a like little. a Sigilas, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know. Exactly. Uh, in terms of reds, you know, I think the, the the best value is coming out of Spain. 
like, where is it so, Ribera Sacra is it Rioja so there's I mean, some there's still some great value I mean pound for pound if you want to go to a restaurant if you want to drink an older bottle of wine it's Rioja okay I mean again it may not be for everybody you may not some people may not like all the oak that they're still using but pound Very for pound okay. but but even for value you know can for you value. get a $20 Rioja yeah Okay, and you, I mean, you can. That's what's so crazy. Is, can you, know, you think of a maker? If you can't, don't worry about it. I mean, any. I love Lopez de Heredia. Like they're an amazing maker, yeah. um, and they and they don't use as much oak. Um, but you know, any of those wines are really amazing value. I was just looking recently uh, for my my brother in law's thirtieth birthday at a at a restaurant in Philly, and they were selling you know a two thousand five. Uh, Reserva from Lopez Heredia for ninety bucks. You but just, they like, release stuff later. That's so the five, so, I think, may be the current one. And that's or what's something. so amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's a very cool thing. So that's that's a good record. All right. So as always, we will post uh, our guest. We'll post Adam's wine list, and I will. We're going to take a quick taste of a wine Adam brought in. Um, I always ask my guests if they can to bring something in. So, Adam, wh what did you bring in? So I brought you a wine from Virginia. Why? And the reason I brought you a wine from Virginia is people are sleeping on it and they need to stop. Okay. So basically, there's a besides, huh, you know, the dude in the White House, there are actual quality people that own wineries in Virginia. Didn't he? Did he buy Kluge? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't even drink wines. So I don't know why he no. owns a winery, but um. There, this is actually this is Early Mountain, but there's a lot of. So the maker's Early Mountain. Yep. The name of the wine is Alluvium. It's a 2016 from Virginia, and it is 56% Merlot, 44% Petit Verdot. What does that mimic? So it looks like a, it's it mimics a right bank Bordeaux. Right. It's like a Palmeral esque style, and it's got everything you want, man. It's got acidity. It's got beautiful fruit. It's, you know, it's got tannin. It shows you that Virginia can do this. And I think it's going to blow up because DC is a market that's exploding. It's now, in terms of our readership, it's our number two market, right? You have amazing restaurants opening there. You have awesome Psalms that are, you know, they're working on the floor. And it's, this region is super close. So it's going to blow up. Would you say years and years ago, we scoffed a little at Long Island and they've come a long way. Is Virginia making that move or is I think Virginia is Virginia's out far pacing the quality that's happening on Lyon. So out, better wine. Much better wines. Right. So much they better should wines. move quicker. They're, they're going to move a lot quicker. There's a lot more money. So this is actually owned by uh, Steve Case. This is Steve Case's vineyard. Oh, it is. So this He's is, you know, like, a lot of good this stuff. This is money coming into Virginia and, and buying. What's the retail on this? It's 30 about? bucks. 30 bucks. So it's, it's, this is their high end though. It's, it's a real red. When we were talking about you know 15 20 wines you're going to a dinner this, this is a is, nice one you know the occasion one and you know and someone's going to wine searcher it and, and see how much you spend <laughs> right so well. what um let's let's just evaluate it quickly so it's got that deep dark purple yep. you know it's got that uh merlot and the petit verdot what do you get on the nose so i mean you get you know obviously the the dark red fruits you have lots of uh berry there's also like Dark berries. A lot of vanilla there from the oak. But it's not a lot of not oak. It's crazy. not too much. It's not too much. Not crazy. All right. Mouthfeel. Pretty full-bodied, right? Full-bodied, but soft. You know? Medium. Right. The super, tannins are soft. Yeah. Soft, plush, really, you know, nice, bright acidity. And it's just, it's a, it's a pleasure to drink. And the palate, does it mimic the um, nose? It does. The black fruit, all the, the black berries. fruit is there. It's exactly what you smell, and then the palate lingers; it doesn't die. So it's there, and it makes you want to sip again. Which right. is why I like what it. do we pair this with? I mean, come on, we should have a burger. So this is great with a burger. I think it'd be awesome. Steak with a burger. and all, yeah. a nice bloody burger. That's a good one. All right, so this is the uh, 2016 Early Mountain is the maker Alluvium from Virginia. So if you want to try wines from Virginia, go to this first. $30, you know, bottle of wine. Um, thanks for bringing that in. Adam, we got to wrap up. Let me do a little show wrap up, and I'll ask you where we could get everything from you. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Uh, follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at SBenRuby and the hashtag Instagram. I mean the hashtag The Grape Nation. I'm sorry for that. On Twitter, we're at BenRuby and the hashtag um, The Grape Nation. As I mentioned, we'll post Adam's wine list. I'll give you all the answers, the specifics and all of that. 
and I will post our weekly wine sip. You know, I'll give you the information on this early mountain um, on all our social media sites that I just mentioned. Adam, where, we didn't talk about handles or anything, but if people want to get to Vine Pair. If you want to get to Vine Pair, it's at Vine Pair. So V I N E P A I R. That's the site that's where it, all the, the columns, site. articles, reviews. Everything. Vinepair.com, at Vine Pair. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at Adam Teeter. Right. A D A M T E T E R. T E E E T E R. I meant to say that. The podcast we talked about is Vine Pair, wherever you get pods. And the magazine, you said McNally, anywhere else? So McNally has it right now in New York. Strand's getting it. You can also subscribe on our website. So you're pushing to get it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Give you a little more long form than the site. All right. Thank you to our guest, Adam Teeter. Adam is the co-founder and CEO of VinePair. Now you know what that is. Um, thanks to our engineer, Amanda, and everyone at Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com backslash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.